The reading is Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 22 to 30. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. church at home. My name is Simon Clegg and I'm the pastor of St Barnabas Bible Church here in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, If you're with us for the first time we're absolutely delighted that you've joined us and I do hope that by the grace of God our study this morning will be a blessing and an encouragement to you even as you continue in fellowship with a local church. Now at the height of the lockdown um, Apparently adults were spending up to 40% of their waking hours (coughs) watching television or media. And uh, the experts say that what we drink in on television and other kinds of media shapes our worldview without us even realising it. So it exercises a controlling influence on our choices, on our relationships, on our priorities. So, is our view of reality true or false? Are we seeing things clearly? That would seem to be an important question, wouldn't it? And if we're not, can anything be done to put it right? Now, that's the issue behind our study in Mark's Gospel this morning. And uh, if our study leaves you with questions, or you'd like to talk to someone, or you'd like somebody to pray with you, can I encourage you to visit our website www.sbbc.org.za and uh, on the home page there's a contact tab and you can leave your contact information there and someone will be in touch with you in the course of the week. So now please do have your Bible open at Mark 8 and verse 22 and before we begin I'm going to pray and ask for God's help. 
So won't you bow with me and uh, I will lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess that if we are to hear your voice this morning, we are fully dependent on your Holy Spirit. Please pour out your Spirit on us in fullness, that our deaf ears might hear, that our blind eyes might see, that our dull minds might be gloriously and wonderfully renewed, and we ask it for Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen. Well, the next little section, as you've gathered, is Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 30. It's just nine verses. Somebody said, I think, that hunger is the best cook. And I guess that probably is true. And I do hope this morning that you are hungry spiritually and that you're going to feed on this section with great profit. And it's very lovely if you're watching voluntarily. (coughs) Excuse me. This week I was reading about a man in America called Jake Strotman who uh, apparently picked a fight on the street with some Baptist preachers and he found himself in front of the judge and the judge ordered him to attend 12 Baptist sermons. It's rather an imaginative sentence. But uh, I do hope this morning that you're watching or listening Not because you have to, but because you want to. Now this passage is a very, very remarkable passage indeed. It contains the only miracle in the entire Bible, which is done in two stages. On the surface, it seems, doesn't it, as if Jesus was struggling to heal the blind man and that he needed to have another go. It also contains the most important question in the entire Bible, The question which opens the door to a place in God's kingdom. And that is the question, who do you say Jesus is? So we're going to look at these two little paragraphs this morning under two headings. Uh, First of all, the unique miracle from verse 22. And then we're going to look at the crucial question. The crucial question from verse (coughs) 27. So firstly then, the unique miracle. Now last time we saw people bring a deaf man to Jesus and uh, you'll remember that Jesus took the man away and very personally and privately and lovingly worked on him and healed him. And now here we see people bring a blind man to Jesus and once again Jesus takes this man out of the village And uh, therefore we see again that Jesus is dealing with this man very personally, very deliberately, very privately. He's taking a personal interest in him. Now both of these miracles, the healing of the deaf man, the healing of the blind man, are teaching miracles. They're educational, they're instructive, they're training miracles. So Jesus is not simply doing these things to get them out of the way. No, these miracles have a kind of signpost quality to them. And they remind us that uh, although there is such a thing as physical deafness, there's also such a thing as spiritual deafness. And although there is such a thing as physical blindness, far more serious is the problem of spiritual blindness. 
So some people never hear the gospel, either because they don't have the physical ears to hear it and are therefore helpless, or because they actually do have the physical ears to hear it, but they don't want to. And in the same way, some people never see the good news of Jesus. So perhaps you remember back in verse 18 that Jesus asked his disciples, Do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears but fail to hear? And of course at that point the disciples wouldn't have been checking their eyeballs or checking their ears because Jesus is simply saying, Don't you understand? Do you not have spiritual eyes or spiritual ears? Now, as we look at this miracle with the blind man, we do need to ask, why does it happen in two stages? In verse 23, Jesus treats the man very seriously. He puts his hands on him, he uses some spit. And then he asks the man if he can see. And the answer sounds encouraging. Obviously, to some degree, the lights have come on for this man. But it's also discouraging, isn't it? Because although he's not blind anymore, which is a miracle, he says, doesn't he, that people look like trees walking around. I guess if your job was to remove cataracts and uh, after the operation you said to the patient, how are the eyes now? And they said, well, they're much better, but uh, unfortunately the other people in the ward look like trees. Uh, Or if your job was to prescribe spectacles for people and you said, how are the specs working? And they said, well, you know, I love the frames, they're really stylish, but unfortunately the people in reception look like trees. Well, I guess at that point you might feel as though you haven't done your job properly. So in verse 25, Jesus puts his hands on the eyes, suddenly the man can see clearly. But why does Jesus seem to struggle with this? After all, his miracles so far have been effortless, haven't they? Uh, Didn't he simply speak to the storm and make it lie down immediately? Uh, Didn't he simply speak to a man full of demons and all of them came out? So why is Jesus apparently struggling here? And uh, more seriously, hasn't he been declaring himself to be the king? Uh, I mean, is it really possible that the king has met his match and that he's perhaps not so powerful after all. These are really important questions as we read this passage. And uh, I have to tell you that some of the people who've written books about Mark's Gospel have come up with some very strange ideas. It seems they don't really know what to make of this. So one of them says, uh, this is a unique miracle and it is impossible to shed light on the two-stage process. In other words, I give up. Uh, Another writer says, we should admire Jesus' persistence. You know, he doesn't give up until he's finished. In other words, it's all about perseverance. But another writer says, Jesus does the healing in two stages because he's making the point that the disciples are very slow to get the message. And that, I think, is beginning to get us closer to the truth. Because I hope you realise, as you heard the nine verses read this morning, that the miracle in two stages, which is a teaching miracle, is relating to the verses that follow, where Peter at last is able to see who Jesus is, but he's not able to see why Jesus has to die. 
So notice this with me. Doesn't he say in verse 29, you're the Christ, that's terrific, the lights have finally come on. But then in verse 32, he turns to Jesus and effectively he says, but you are not going to die. So, like the man who was able to see people looking like trees, Peter can see a bit, but he can't see enough. And that's what this miracle is really all about. Uh, It's reminding the disciples and the readers of Mark's Gospel and you and me this morning that it's absolutely essential to see not only who Jesus is, verse 29, but also to see that he's come to die. Now listen to this, because you see, if a person cannot see who Jesus is, they're not a Christian, And if they can't see that he came in order to die, they don't have a gospel. They don't actually have anything to say. And if you want further proof that this miracle is an unforgettable illustration for the disciples, did you notice that it starts with a question? It's the only time Jesus ever asks a question in the middle of a miracle the end of verse 23, Jesus asks the man, do you see anything? And he also asks the disciples a question, doesn't he, in verse 27, who am I? And you'll notice that the miracle ends with a warning. So in verse 26, Jesus says to the man, don't go into the village. And uh, the conversation with the disciples also ends with a warning in verse 30, don't tell anything about me. So, friends, Jesus is not struggling. I do hope you can see this. It's absolutely no problem for him to heal the blind man. He could just speak a word as he walked past if he wanted to. But here Jesus is teaching in a very memorable way that it is absolutely essential not only to get his identity right, but also his mission. And if you only get his identity but not his mission... You haven't understood the gospel and therefore you're not yet in a position to tell the gospel because you see where the gospel is concerned being half right is wrong. So friends, I do hope you can see this. Now some of you may be thinking this morning well, you know, I learned this a long time ago you're not telling me anything I didn't already know and yet I do think some of you might be saying actually, yes, this is interesting. I now see why this miracle happens in two stages. And I want to say to you this morning that the difference between the person who is inside the kingdom and the person who is outside the kingdom is that the person inside the kingdom can see who Jesus is. And I'm not talking about the person uh, who can answer the question by remembering a pat answer they learned in Sunday school or by quoting the Apostles' Creed. No, I'm talking about the person who can say Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, he is the Lord, and he is the Saviour, he is my Saviour. Because for that person, the lights have come on. And the difference between having a gospel and having no gospel is that you can see why Jesus came, that he came to die. And again, I'm not saying that you can say by rote like a parrot, oh yes, he came to die for our sins, I know that. No, I'm asking whether you can say, yes, I see exactly why he came, 
He came in order to die on the cross for my sins and for the sins of all people. And that, you see, is the, the equivalent of getting your spiritual sight. Uh, if you can see who Jesus is and if you can see that he came to die, well, that means God has been working a miracle in you. Now, some of you, I know, have heard Peter Pollock, who came to speak in our church a couple of times. At uh, one time, as you know, he was the fastest bowler in the world. But for many years now, he's been a fearless evangelist and Bible teacher. And uh, on one occasion, he was being interviewed in a church somewhere overseas. And uh, the interviewer said, well, you know, here in our country, there are very few believers, but uh, apparently South Africa is full of Christians. And Peter Pollock said, yes, I know why you say that, but I'm not sure you're right. The test is, do they talk about God or do they talk about Jesus? You see, if they just talk God talk, they're probably not Christians because that's just vague cultural talk. But if they talk about Jesus, well, they might very well be Christians. Now, I think that's helpful. And that's what we're seeing here. Uh, just as the blind man needed to see reality clearly with his physical eyes, so a person needs to see clearly who Jesus is and why he came. So that's the unique miracle. That's the first thing this morning. And the second thing this morning is the crucial question. And the crucial question comes up when Jesus turns to the disciples as they walk along the road and he asks them, who do people say that I am? Now you might say to yourself, well, I suppose that's a moderately interesting question, but it's not a hugely important question. But the fact is, my friend, it is a hugely important question. Uh, I imagine some of you this morning might remember 30 years ago when the Space uh, Shuttle Challenger uh, went up and exploded almost immediately and uh, seven astronauts were killed outright. And uh, afterwards they discovered why that explosion happened. Uh, the shuttle exploded because there were seals, kind of rubber ring seals, that connected different sections of the booster rockets. And these rubber seals did an absolutely tremendous job when they were warm. But they did a hopeless job when they were cold and brittle. And the launch, you see, took place on a cold day. Uh, the engineers warned that, that, that if those rubber ring seals were cold and brittle, that gas might escape and the results would be catastrophic. But uh, as it turned out, the engineers were overruled by the management, who said the launch must happen on schedule. And now looking back, they know that that was the problem. The seals were brittle, the gas escaped, disaster followed. Now, you see, just as that very small part of the rocket seemed to be so insignificant, something that anybody might overlook, so this little question in Mark chapter 8 might not seem to you like a very big deal. But it is, my friends, an absolutely vital question. It's the most important question any of us will ever have to answer. Who is Jesus? Now notice, will you, that Jesus begins by asking the disciples, who do people 
say I am? Now that I think is a very unusual question, isn't it? Uh, Imagine for a moment I took the ministry team out for lunch. Uh, We've been working together at St Barnabas for nine years. And uh, imagine in the middle of the lunch I say to the team, oh by the way, who am I? I guess depending on their mood, uh, they could look back and say, do you know, we've been wondering that ourselves. It is a very strange question that after such a long time with the disciples, Jesus asks them, who am I? Who do people say I am? Now, of course, uh, some of us know these verses really well because back comes the famous answer in verse 28. Some say you're John the Baptist, Some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets. Now that's telling us, you see, that the people in the community have a very high view of Jesus. So they're not like the Pharisees back in chapter 3 who regarded Jesus as demonic. And they're not like the family of Jesus who regarded him as slightly mad also back in chapter 3. No, the people in the community have huge respect for Jesus but the best they can come up with is John the Baptist who's still fresh in their memory uh, or Elijah who you'll remember from the Old Testament uh, departed from the earth miraculously in a chariot of fire and was expected to return in the book of Malachi and even that word prophet says to us that the people held Jesus in very high regard indeed But nobody in the community, and this is the important thing, this is the absolutely staggering thing. After all the miracles, uh, after all the teaching Jesus has done, nobody in the community says Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, uh, the people in the villages were saying something like this. We think Jesus is a terrific teacher. We think he's a great prophet. He's a great miracle worker. Maybe John the Baptist has returned. Maybe Elijah has come back. But he's not the answer. He's not the goal. He's not the Messiah. Now friends, how can the people in the villages speak so respectfully about Jesus and yet still be so wide of the mark? And the answer is because they are spiritually blind. And why is it that people today will say very respectful things about Jesus, such as, yes, he's a marvellous religious uh, leader, I think he's a very impressive person, I think he's an amazing man, but he's not the answer, and he's certainly not the answer for me. He's not crucial. He's not crucial for me. And you see, the reason that people speak about Jesus like that is because they're spiritually blind. They wouldn't talk like that once their eyes have been opened. They need a miracle. So why does the religious world, and especially the Islamic world, consider Jesus to be a prophet but nothing more than a prophet? Well, because until Jesus opens blind eyes, that's how people think of him. That is the best, uh, they say he's the best the world has to offer. That's their view. But when Jesus opens your eyes, (coughs) you begin to realise that Jesus is not simply the best the world has to offer. No, he is the one who's come from heaven to earth in order to take people from earth to heaven. So blindness, you see, is a huge problem. 
Imagine for a moment that it's a blazing hot day today. No clouds in the sky. And uh, imagine asking 20 people who've all been blind from birth and saying to them, is the sun in the sky very bright? And they all say, no, the sun is actually not bright at all. Now you see, in that example, you don't conclude from what they say that the sun is not bright. Because you see, saying a thing is so doesn't make it so. Now, surely you conclude from that that blindness is a very, very serious thing. And when somebody else says that Jesus is an impressive human being, but that's all, well, you don't change your, your views about Jesus. You rather have to conclude that spiritual blindness is a very, very serious problem. You see, the evidence for Jesus as the Messiah is overwhelming. Because the Old Testament says that when Messiah comes, he'll heal the deaf and he will heal the blind. And here is Jesus healing the deaf and healing the blind. And he expects people to follow the evidence and to conclude he is the Messiah. But that takes a miracle. Yes, he does expect us to be responsible with the information we've been given. And yet at the same time, it's also a supernatural work. So, you know, if I can put it this way, the, the supernatural people in Mark's Gospel can see perfectly clearly who Jesus is. So, for example, at the baptism of Jesus, God the Father says, this is my Son. So God is very clear about who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God. The demons, who are also supernatural, uh, say things to Jesus like, well, what do you want with us, Son of the Most High God? So the demons can see very clearly. But people can't see until God opens their eyes. And uh, one of the people, one of the disciples, is about to have his eyes opened. So when Jesus uh, turns in chapter 8, verse 29, and puts his question to the disciples, uh, let's forget about what the people in the villages are saying. What about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus responds to that by saying, you know, Peter, flesh and blood didn't work that out. It's not because you've got a terrific IQ. It's because your Father in heaven has opened your eyes. And uh, like a blind man who can now see the sun in the sky, Peter is answering the crucial question, saying, you are the Messiah. So, this great miracle has taken place. Now, when Peter says, you're the Messiah, please remember that he's a Jewish boy, so he's grown up on the Old Testament, and uh, we read in Psalm 2 in the Old Testament that the Messiah the anointed one is seated on the throne and uh, he's going to terrify his enemies and he's going to strike down all opposition globally and he's going to give life and refuge to all who turn to him and Psalm 2 says kiss the son take refuge in him and knowing Psalm 2 in the Old Testament Peter says to Jesus it's you. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. 
Now that, you see, is a work of God. It's a miracle. It's a supernatural thing. And of course, yes, Jesus has said wonderful things and he's done wonderful things, but that is a miracle of God. And the question that Jesus asks here is the number one question in the entire Bible. Now, there are lots of questions people are asking today. Why am I here? How did I get here? Where am I going? What's my life all about? What is truth? Is there a God? Is there life after death? But the number one question in order for anybody to gain access to the kingdom of God, which is the only thing that's going to outlast the world, is who is Jesus Christ? Who do you say that he is? And if I was to visit you this week and I was to ask you in a nice and friendly, personal, totally non-threatening way, who is Jesus Christ to you? I wonder what you would say. And I think I could probably work out in about a minute whether you're still blind or whether God has given you sight. Because, you see, the blind person is going to struggle to answer that question. Uh, There'll be a bit of spluttering. They'll say something rather vague or they'll give a pat answer that they've learned by heart, uh, rather like the people of Jesus' day. It might be very respectful, but it won't be very clear and it won't be very confident. But the person whose eyes have been opened will say very easily and very gladly, he is the Christ, he is the Son of God, he is my Saviour, he is my Lord. By the way, please will you notice that Jesus agrees with Peter. It's only a small detail, but I think it's important. Peter says this astonishing thing, you are the Christ. And Jesus, you see, doesn't, he doesn't disagree. He doesn't say, steady on, that's a bit over the top. No, he agrees with Peter because Jesus is the Christ. So, my friend, you must ask yourself today whether the Lord Jesus has given you eyes to see exactly who he is. And if he has, that's a terrific cause for great joy. And you must ask yourself whether you are able to say very plainly and very honestly and very simply, Jesus is my Saviour, he's my Lord, he's my King, he's my God, he is my Messiah. And if you can't say that yet, you need to cry out to him to give you spiritual sight, eyes to see. And if you can say that, well, you need to praise him. The Emperor Napoleon apparently said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is not a mere man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and religious leaders. But I search in vain to find anyone similar to Christ in the Gospel. So Peter here, by a miracle, is able to see. And then suddenly, astonishingly, Jesus turns around and says, Now be quiet. Now I guess many of you know why Jesus says this. Because Peter isn't yet in a position to go and preach the Gospel. And he's not in a position to go preaching the Gospel because he's only got half a Gospel. He can only half see. He's still half blind. He knows who Jesus is, but not that Jesus has come to die on the cross. And therefore he doesn't have a gospel. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, that Jesus says, don't say this to anybody. 
But you see, if Peter were to rush off and start telling people that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, and that's all, people would get confused. Now, they'll be hoping for a political rescue, for a political triumph, but in fact, Jesus is on the road to Calvary because Jesus deliberately and willingly submits to his mission to go to the cross. Now, is that not very, very relevant for us today? You see, if a person knows that Jesus is the Christ, is the King, gets terribly excited about that, but forgets the cross, well, that's going to be very confusing, isn't it? I mean, think of the churches in Cape Town, where the message is all about uh, triumph and victory. It's all about Jesus the King, full stop. That's all it is. But that doesn't help anybody understand the Gospel. It won't help anybody understand the Christian life which is all about the cross. Or, perhaps, think of the churches that preach Jesus, but then go on to tell us that you and I have got to earn our salvation. That we've got to try and work harder in order to save ourselves. What a terrible message. Now, some of you, I guess, listening this morning, might be thinking to yourself, you know, I'm not too clear about this. I'm not too clear about Jesus. And I'm not really clear about the cross. Well, can I encourage you to to open Mark's Gospel and start to read it for yourself? Or pick up the phone, uh, contact us. We'd love to read the Bible with you or answer your questions. Or talk to a Christian friend, someone you know and love. But whatever you do, please get it clear in your mind. Because nothing, absolutely nothing in your life or mine is more important. But I guess most of you this morning will be saying how thankful I am to the Lord that he has opened my eyes to see who Jesus is because that's a miracle. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's entirely his grace to me. And that he also came to die on the cross. And that's the way that I can be forgiven and adopted and have a future and have a marvellous hope. And I have been wonderfully, wonderfully blessed and I do hope you can say that this morning so let's pray together well our gracious God we thank you that you are the one who opens blind eyes out of sheer mercy and there are many of us who have been enabled to see who Jesus is and what he came to do and we are deeply thankful And there are so many around us who can't see that Jesus is wonderful and they can't understand the beauty of the cross. And we pray for them and ask that many, many people in our city and in our country will have their eyes opened and find a secure home in your kingdom. And we ask you to help us love them and speak speak the truth to them, trusting that you will have mercy on them as you've had mercy on us. And these things we ask for Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen.